0: Father in heaven, we are overjoyed to be in your presence this morning. The Bible says that we should enter your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise. Father, we are not here to hear the words of a man. Our interest is not in political speeches, pontificating, or simply discourses. But like those Greeks of old that came to Jerusalem around the time of the Passover, they wanted to see Jesus. And Lord, it is not that physicians and health care providers are excluded from the need of Jesus. Lord, we all want to see him. We all want to be touched by his spirit. And that is why we bow our heads now and pray that you would use this man who is but dust in your sight. Father, it is our prayer that you would speak through me and you would speak to me. This is our prayer, and we trust that you will help this to be our experience. As we offer this prayer from our hearts, let all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. I entitled my sermon in the booklet, I Believe in Miracles, I believe in miracles. You know, I was told I've worked in a lot of hospitals and with a lot of different medical staff. And one of the things that I used to hear oftentimes in these medical facilities is that doctors make the worst patients. Is that true? Yes. Okay, just wanted to make sure. <laughs> doctors make the worst patients. And so, I wanted to speak to an audience of healthcare providers across various specialties as if you are the patient. That is my intention this morning, is to shift from being the provider to the one provided for. And so if you would for a minute, put your doctor hat on the shelf, put your physical therapy hat on the shelf, your nursing, your dentistry, your ophthalmology, whatever specialty it is, put it aside, you are the patient this morning. C.S. Lewis, in his book on miracles, he believes that there are only two types of people in the world, naturalists and supernaturalists. He says, naturalists believe that nature is all that there is. But you see, a supernaturalist, They believe that nature is not all that there is. Now that seems like a very simple definition to divide them, but there is an understanding that nature and what it is is critical to understanding the difference. And so we have to explore what do we mean by nature or that which is natural. And since most of us are healthcare providers and practitioners, you're probably not wordies or lovers of rhetorical art like myself, allow us to use some basic sentences where you might hear this verb and arrive at a certain sense of what nature is by definition. So let me phrase this in terms of some statements or questions where we might use this word. Perhaps you might go up to an individual and ask the question, are those your natural teeth? I didn't say you should, I just said if you did. Now a dentist, maybe you could ask that question, but I would never ask that question. <laughs> Are those your natural teeth? Another thing you might say is the dog in his natural state is covered with fleas. Or another thing you might say is I love to be in nature and to be refreshed from the weak. Maybe something else you might hear is a girlfriend going to meet a guy going to meet his girlfriend's father for the very first time. God have mercy on the man that comes to my (laughs) door. She turned to him and said, just be natural. Now, what can we draw from all these statements about nature? Nature is what we will get if we take no measure to stop it. It is something that comes from its own self. Thus, in each statement, this definition is plainly understood. You see, when we say, are those your natural teeth? Here we mean that the teeth that grow of their own selves. We're not talking about dentures designed by someone outside of your body. If that's clear, can you say amen? Amen. If you don't wash or clean the dog, i.e. taking any measures to stop it, your dog will be covered with fleas. If you go to a place in nature, what you mean is not just the garden in the back, but a place that is untouched by a gardener or any outside influence or hands. And when the girlfriend tells her boyfriend, just be natural. What she's saying is, I want you to behave as if the fact that you're meeting my dad for the first time does not influence who you are. That's what she's saying. Just act as if you're not meeting my dad. Just be who you are when my dad is not around. Good luck with that one. (laughs) But that's what she means. Thus, a naturalist believes that everything that happens in the universe, everything that happens inside of a human being, everything that happens in the ocean or in the sky or in the Andromeda galaxy happens of its own self. There are no events in the universe by which an outside power, a mind, or influence is required in order to bring about a change. But a supernaturalist believes that some things require an outside influence, a mind, a power that is greater than nature, in order to bring about a specific result. You see, a naturalist believes in a world without windows, A world where there is no thing and no one beyond nature that can influence the universe as we know it. In other words, a world without miracles. All things that happen, happen of their own selves. At these things we admire, we study, we seek to understand, but we do not necessarily wonder which is what the word miracle means, essentially in its Latin roots, morari, to wonder. The gospels are filled with experiences that don't happen naturally. Things that we would not say that happen of their own selves. For example, if a man is paralyzed for 38 years, he doesn't just get up and walk because a Jewish rabbi says so. That's not natural. Can you say amen? Amen. Another example is dead people don't return from the grave four days after being buried by invitation or calling the dead person by that name. That's not natural. Can you say amen? amen? You see, a supernaturalist believes in miracles, experiences that show a power above and outside of nature. Coming into nature to bring about something that nature could not accomplish of its own self. I don't know about you, but this sounds a lot like the gospel to me. This sounds curiously like Ellen White's statement on righteousness by faith to testimonies to ministers. Page 456, listen to what she says. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot regenerate ourselves ourselves in the heavenly courts there will be no song sung to me that loved myself and washed myself I'm still quoting redeemed myself unto me be glory and honor blessing and praise but this is the keynote of the song that is sung by many here in this world what is justification by faith It is the work of God in laying the glory of man in the dust. And doing for man that which it is not in his power to do for himself. You see, if you believe in miracles, then you believe in the supernatural. And if you believe in the supernatural, then you are a supernaturalist. And if you are a supernaturalist, then you believe that there is a power above and outside of nature, outside of the universe, especially humanity, that can do what it is not in our own power to accomplish. And if you believe that, then you believe in the gospel. And the gospel can be the best and most clearly illustrated through miracles. Particularly, miracles that involve For these miracles reveal Jesus' ability to do something in the human being, in the human soul, that the soul could not do for itself. Namely, as our theme states, Christ in you. You cannot do that. I cannot do that. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. Ephesians, chapter 3. It is actually in your program booklet as well. Ephesians, chapter 3, and verse 17. When you're there, you could say, Amen. If you're not there, just say, Have mercy. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17, the Bible says this is the prayer of Paul that Christ may dwell where? In your hearts, through what? Faith. faith tells us that Paul's prayer, an expression of the Holy Spirit's desire for all believers and readers of Scripture, is that Christ would dwell in our hearts. How? Amen. By faith. Christ in you is only possible by faith. The Gospels reveal, especially for a conference that gathers those who have dedicated their lives to healing, the simplest and clearest expressions of faith. You see, I want to use three examples this morning, this afternoon that reveal what sincere faith looks like to allow Christ to dwell in our hearts. It's one thing to talk about Christ dwelling in your heart, how to set up your waiting room, how to go about asking people to pray. But I don't know about you, but I've had some people offer me prayer who weren't very Christ-like before. They weren't trying to pray with me because they were sincerely concerned for my soul. They were trying to pray with me to influence me in a certain direction. Or sometimes we use prayer as an excuse of gossip. God have mercy on us. And so I want to walk you through just three brief encounters of human healing. And explore the lessons that they can teach us. About faith that leads to Christ dwelling in your heart and in mind. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Mark, chapter 10. We're going to begin in verse 46 of the story of blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus. Mark, chapter 10, beginning in verse 46. When you're there, you can say amen. The Bible says, now they came to Jericho as he went out to Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still. Now, verse 48 says, then many warned him to be what? They said, be quiet, but he cried out all the more and they called him and sorry. And so Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, the, he is calling you and throwing aside his garment. He rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that is my teacher or my master, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your what has made you well? Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Now, where do we see blind Bartimaeus' faith in this story? The first thing that we see is the moment that he heard Because he was blind. He didn't see Jesus passing by. He didn't experience any sort of miracles outside of his vicinity. But he heard that Jesus was there. And the moment he knew that Jesus was passing by. He started crying out, Jesus son of David have mercy upon me. The very cry itself expressed Bartimaeus' own sense of his own glory. He recognized that he wasn't asking for a favor, he was asking for mercy. He wasn't asking for a gift, he was asking for mercy. Which means I don't deserve what I'm asking from you. Have you ever asked someone something you didn't deserve? Most of us, we have too much pride to even do that. I don't even deserve to ask this from you, so therefore we would rather suffer in silence. Than to go to the person in complete humility and say, you know what, I need this. See, I was raised, my dad is a very prideful man too. So I came up in a situation where if you can't do it yourself, then you just don't do it. Even if it takes you 10 years when it could have gone twice as fast had you asked for help. But because of this, I came up into a mindset where, you know what? Why would I ask this person, oh no, I'm, I'm too prideful to ask for $5. Sorry, I don't borrow money from people. Just people like that. And that's just money. That's just $5. So in, in looking at this, the moment he knew his immediate faith reached out to Jesus, not because he would deserve what he was asking. Faith has nothing to do with our worthiness. We cannot go to Jesus and say, I want you to dwell into my heart because I deserve it. That is a mercy of God. He is granting it to us not because we earned it or because we did anything or because we are worthy because we are not. We do not deserve the presence of the almighty God inside of our souls. Yes, we want to be medical missionaries. Yes, we want to transform our practices, but we are asking from God something that we do not deserve. We can never earn. It doesn't matter what you named your practice. It doesn't matter how many Bible verses you have in pictures on the wall. It doesn't matter if you pray before you open and pray at your close. It doesn't make us worthy. We are asking for a mercy from God. And so in this very moment, his faith took hold, but see, he wasn't done then. The second point we see in his faith is his persistence. You see, when others, particularly followers of Jesus, they told him to be quiet. (laughs) Be quiet, stop calling for Jesus. You know how many times I've had to witness reluctantly? Going into a situation I'll never forget. Being in college, and I'm, I'm, I, I remember my uh, senior year, finishing my, my business degree. I used to work at the College of Education. And so as I was coming to work that day, I realized I had no clean clothes. Number one. And number two, I was traveling to go preach at Indiana University. And so I thought to myself, you know, the last time I traveled, Delta lost my luggage. I did not have a suit for three days. So I said, you know what? I can't risk this. So I wore my suit to school <laughs> and to work. So I'm walking around in this nice suit and as I'm coming out, the Dean of the College of Education comes and he says, oh, uh, good morning, sir. I say, you look really nice today. Uh, what's, what's the occasion? Oh, you know, uh, laundry day. <laughs> laundry day, it's like. <laughs> Then he, then he looks at me and says, you wore a suit because of laundry day? I said, well, I'm also traveling, I'm going somewhere. He says, oh really, where are you going? I'm going to Indiana University. What are you going to do? I'm going to speak. I mean, I'm usually very talkative type of person in those situations, but you can just sense, right? We're recoiling from the situation. So I said, oh, I'm going to speak. What are you gonna speak about? Oh, you know, morality. Um, how to be a good person. Then he looks at me, he says, like what? What are you gonna say? (laughs) Can you hear the Holy Spirit like, hello? (laughs) (laughs) On the platter. (laughs) Can you tell him about Jesus, please? (laughs) But I was a preacher. You know, Francis of Assisi said, no sense preaching anywhere if you're not preaching everywhere. Blind Bartimaeus, people told him to be quiet. Brothers and sisters, I, I met a woman. She was a nurse. She worked in a prison. And of course, these prisoners, like Blind Bartimaeus, you know, people did not believe that these people were worthy of mercy. So she had patients inside of the hospital in the prison who would tell her that the nurses would come in and when they were dealing with all kinds of conditions, persistent pain, and the nurses would say, you know what, because of what you did, I'm going to reduce your pain med by 50%. You deserve to suffer a little bit. Can you imagine? So there this guy is in prison, sick, in pain, and she decides herself as the nurse, you deserve every ounce of pain you're going to get. So I'm just going to go ahead and reduce your dose. So she said they would tell her these things. But she said, you know, I felt like that was not right. That is not what God called us to do. So she decided that she was not going to operate this way. And so one day she walks in and as she's walking in to apply this, this medication, she trips over the hospital bed. And I mean, she's, she's a pretty heavy lady. And when she tripped and put her hand to catch herself on the wall, her hand went through the wall. She's about 10 stories up. So as she's falling forward, the man that she was supposed to be applying the medication to, he was paralyzed from the waist down. So he reaches out and grabs her clothes and his bed starts moving with her. Then another prisoner rolls in on a wheelchair, grabs his bed. And Starts pulling they're still falling forward (laughs) Then another prisoner runs in Four prisoners pulling this woman and all these individuals and she said there was nothing at the bottom but metal rods She said I knew if I fell I was dead So finally they pulled her back inside and as they pulled her finally back inside, the guards came running in. They said, get your hands off her. Get your... And they were ready to arrest them and do all this stuff. And she said, no, leave them alone. They're the reason I'm alive. And all of a sudden, the question was asked in the interview to the nurse, why do you think they helped you not fall out of there? She says, because I treated them as if they were a patient, not a prisoner. We have to be very careful as health providers that we do not discriminate based upon the people we see. Many times the greatest opportunities for God's miracles are the blind Bartimaeuses that we want to be quiet. We hope they never come back to the doctor's office. We hope they switch to some other provider. I was reading a study out of Minnesota University of Minnesota and they were talking about they did a survey among physicians and providers and they noticed That 80% of them anonymously admitted that they do not provide thorough care to people who are grossly overweight They said they feel as if they're not going to apply it anyway So they don't even tell them They don't even run necessary tests These are physicians By profession But I have to move forward Another place that we see blind Bartimaeus's faith is that he came when Jesus called. He thought Jesus was going to give him something else other than what he needed. He would not have come. Soon as they said, Jesus stood still. And they said, the master's calling for you. You can come. So Bartimaeus comes. And we see the very next thing Jesus says, what would you have me to do for you? His request was an expression of his faith. He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Well, if he didn't think Jesus could do it, why would he ask? But then he goes forward. Jesus told him, your faith has made you well. Now, this is interesting. Because if we're dealing with this as an illustration of saving faith, of how you and I get Christ to dwell in our hearts, it is only possible by the same faith that led Bartimaeus's cry to be heard. And that led Bartimaeus to receive his sight in the first place. So I have a question for you. As our patients today. Don't see yourself as Jesus in this story. You're the blind man. If you and I want Christ to dwell in our hearts. If he is not dwelling in our hearts by faith. And notice the text doesn't say visiting in your heart. Doesn't say stopping by. Doesn't say in and out, it says dwelling in your heart. That means Jesus is abiding, Jesus is continually there. We just talked about continuity of care and how important that is. It is only possible if, like Bartimaeus, just hearing that Jesus is near, what is our response? Does our faith immediately grope towards Christ the moment we hear Jesus is near that he's passing by is Jesus here at Amen? Amen How many visits Don't answer me. How many visits have been made to the prayer room to cry out to Jesus to have mercy upon you? How many visits have been made to the prayer room so that you can personally beg Jesus To dwell in your heart. We just don't need seminars and information. Like Bartimaeus, Jesus brought you here to Amen, because the master is calling for you. And because of this moment, I've made visits to the prayer room at least six times since I've been here. Every time I've gone in, it's empty. How else? is Christ going to dwell in our hearts if we don't ask? And I'm not talking about corporately, you personally. Because the theme is not Christ in us. It's Christ in you. Second person, individual, singular. Because that leads you and I to a place to say, am I appropriating the theme to myself? But guess what? We don't like that because that's hard to measure, right? hard to really assess what's the metric for that what's the surrogate marker for that how do we know well I know that Christ is dwelling in my heart because of this see that makes us feel very helpless very out of control you think Bartimaeus cared about that he sure did not because guess what if we like Bartimaeus we have the same faith that this man had we would want To have Christ in our hearts as radically as he wanted to see. But is that how bad we want it? I want Jesus in my heart as radically as a blind man wants to see. Do you feel as if you are blind if you don't have Christ in your heart? Because that is the truth. Because if we don't have Christ dwelling in our hearts, we really are blind anyway. Because you will not see patience as God sees them. You will not recognize the leading of the Holy Spirit. We will not be able to look at the circumstance and say, oh, you know what? I see what Jesus is doing here. Like the brother talked about in the opening night. Said, well, how many of us are excited when you're ready to close down and another person walks in? No, we're not excited. Man, I'm trying to get out of here. But what if God... Had a miracle there. We miss. Because we are spiritually blind. I want to keep moving forward. Because I don't have a lot of time left. You know. I love the fact that Bartimaeus. Asserted his request. You see his faith led him. To keep. Crying out for mercy. You need to know he didn't ask just one time. He asked in a way that he would not be denied. Because when you want it as much as you want to see. You will persist and persist. I want Christ in my heart. I want him to dwell in my heart. I'm not going to stop asking. Till I have received the request. But you see if we are increase with goods and feel like we have need of nothing, we will never go. Well, I got my my notes and such and such is going to send me the slide handouts. I should be good to go. I don't know if we need as much information as we need deep soul searching in prayer together. Because I don't know about you, but when you see a person that you deeply respect like your doctor, Finding a place where they themselves feel that they are out of their depth. Where you see someone you respect bowing down before someone else. And owning the fact in front of your patient, Lord, I don't know how to address this situation. This is beyond my capabilities. We need you, not just the patient. We need you to do for us what we cannot accomplish. Because we believe in miracles. See, after, unfortunately, I can't dwell on that point. I'm I'm looking at like six minutes. (laughs) I want to take you to another story quickly, Mark chapter nine. Mark chapter nine. The story of. The father of the boy who was possessed. We're going to start in verse 21. Jesus come down with his three closest disciples. They couldn't cast out the demon. So Jesus in verse 21 asked his father, how long has this been happening to you? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, how many things are possible? All things things are possible to him who what? Believes. To him who knows? Yes or no? no? Okay. That's interesting. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with Tears in his eyes. Lord, I believe, help my what? Unbelief. We see the faith of the Father in this story because it was accepted on behalf of his son. His son couldn't come to Jesus, and many of us, our patients, do not have the faith to come to Jesus, but you and I do. We can come to Jesus on their behalf, knowing their circumstance. And also the faith of the father led him to bring his son to the disciples. I tried to bring them to your disciples, but you know, they couldn't do it. So then he said, well, I'm going to go to Jesus. There's the persistence again. But here's the kicker in this story. He said to Jesus, if you can. (laughs) That's funny. Because the interesting thing here is that. There was no limitation on the power of Jesus. He came and said, if you can, Jesus said, well, if you can believe. This is not about your son is not cured because I lack power. Your son is not cured because you lack faith. Because of your unbelief. In other words, the unbelief of the father, the weakness and the frailty of his faith was a worse condition than the possession of the boy. The situation hinges just on this point. Notice the commentary on this story. This is Desire of Ages, page 429. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us, was the prayer of the Father. How many a sin-burdened soul has echoed that prayer? And to all the pitying Savior's answer is, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. It is faith that connects us with heaven and brings us strength for coping with the powers of darkness in Christ in where in Christ. God has provided means for subduing every sinful trait. Hallelujah. Do doctors have sinful traits? Yes or no? Do nurses have sinful traits? What about Dennis? Except for Carlos. right? No sinful traits. So in, in looking at this, right, we don't have any sinful traits. Of course we do. Because it'll be so easy to have the gospel it kind of essentially, um, oh man, the word just escaped my mind. <laughs> Bubbling up out of our souls as a physician when we ourselves have drank of that fountain. It's easy for me to look at a client, look at a patient. In the eye, and they're like, Doc, I just don't think I can get off the meat. I just don't think I can get off the sugar. You are right. You can't, because I know what it's like to struggle. As your physician, I know what it's like to feel powerless before your habits. But I found a cure. I found an answer. I found a power because I believe in miracles. Do you believe in miracles? Did you know that they did a USA Today study? They surveyed how many Americans believe in God as understood in Scripture. They said, oh, yeah, it was about 30 to 40%. How many of you believe in the supernatural, in miracles and angels and devils and all this stuff? 100%. So people believe in miracles. They believe in the supernatural. They believe there's a power out there That's greater than nature. But they don't believe in God. They haven't connected them. And in this very instance, the Father comes. And she finishes the statement. She says, resisting every temptation, however strong it is. That's why the Bible says, where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. What that's trying to say is, I want you to take your worst temptation, I want you to take your greatest struggle. I want you to take the habit that you struggle the most to yield to God and to overcome. Take the power that that has over your mind. The struggle that you fight and then multiply that by a billion and now you have the power of grace. You didn't catch what I just said. The more powerful the sin, the more powerful grace is shown to be. So in this sense, you say, well, Lord, I'm struggling. I keep failing day after day after day. I'm losing my temper. I don't know how to treat my family. I'm disrespecting my husband or my wife. And you're like, I don't know why this is a persistent struggle. It's been in our marriage for years. Guess what? Sin is abounding. But that's okay because grace does much more abound. However strong, moving forward, but many feel that they lack faith. Does anybody feel that way? Notice what she says. They lack faith and therefore they remain away from Christ. Let these souls, in their helpless unworthiness, cast themselves upon the mercy of the compassionate Savior. Look not to self, but to Christ. He who healed the sick and cast out demons when he walked among men is the same mighty Redeemer today. Faith comes. By the word of God, then grasp his promise. I will in no wise cast out those who come to me. Cast yourself at his feet. And with the cry, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You can never perish while you do this. Never. End quote. I only have a few more minutes. And so I have to wrap this up. I want you to go to Mark chapter 5. This is where I'm going to end. Mark chapter 5, verse 22. The story of Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood. Here we see in this particular story, they both were coming to Jesus. They both had situations that went from bad to worse. They both had to have a faith, a belief in Christ that endured delay and depreciation. And they both had a situation where it was critical that only, only was central to their situation. I want to show you that. I want you to look, first and foremost, there in Mark chapter 5, and notice what she says in verse 28. Verse 28, this is the woman with the issue. She said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be what? I shall be whole. I shall be made well. Right? And immediately the fountain of her blood was what? Dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. That's interesting. Now, while this is happening, Jairus' situation gets worse. And notice what Jesus says, verse 36 to Jairus. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only what? Believe." Believe. And he told the woman in verse 34, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction." you know, Desire of Ages, page 343 says, in that one touch was concentrated the faith of her life. Is that how you're reaching out after Christ this morning? When you bow in prayer, is that the faith of your life? See, it's easy when material things are not the danger. But what if the danger is in the spiritual area? What if that's the deficit? Do we bring the same energy to our own spiritual deficits? If we want Christ to dwell in us, there's only one place to go. That is to Jesus. Now, I want to move forward to bring this to an end. This is the Zahar Ages, page 347. It says, the wandering crowd that pressed close about Christ realized no accession of vital power. None. They were touching Jesus, but nobody was healed. But when the suffering woman put forth her hand to touch him, believing that she would be made whole, she felt the healing virtue. So in spiritual things. This is where it picks up to talk about faith. She says, to talk of religion in a casual way, to pray without soul hunger and living faith avails nothing. A nominal faith in Christ, which accepts him merely as the savior of the world, can never bring healing to the soul. The faith that is unto salvation is not a mere intellectual assent to the truth, He who waits for entire knowledge before he will exercise faith cannot receive blessing from God. It is not enough to believe about Christ. We must believe in him. The only faith that will benefit us is that which embraces him as a personal savior, which appropriates his merits to ourselves. Many hold faith as an opinion. I'm still quoting. Saving faith is a transaction by which those who receive Christ join themselves in a covenant relation to God. Genuine faith is life. A living faith means an increase of vigor. A confiding trust by which the soul becomes a conquering power. See, brothers and sisters, when we talk about Christ dwelling in your hearts by faith, it is not talking of religion in a casual way. It is not formality in prayer without soul hunger and living faith. But you say, Sebastian, how do we get there? You cannot do it of yourself. If you and I are feeling like our prayers are a formality, we have to go to Jesus and be a patient. We got to let the great physician operate. And when he says, take two of these and see me in the morning, we got to follow it. Because there's nothing more frustrating to a provider than you coming back and saying, the cure doesn't work when you didn't follow what I prescribed. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, if we want to have Christ in our hearts, we got to have a personal transaction. It's not just belief. It's not just intellectual assent. Covenant relationship. Sounds like marriage. It's a covenant. A decision that Jesus is going to be in a very specific place in your mind. I've often said to people that many of us who grow up in the faith... We have our relationship with Jesus like it's an arranged marriage. We always knew you were going to be a Christian. Just like in some cultures, we already knew you were going to marry that person. So now I I grew up. I was raised Seventh-day Adventist. You were born in sin. And you've been shaped in iniquity. And until you and I come into a covenant relationship with Jesus... We haven't truly expressed faith. Not the faith that's going to cause Christ to dwell in our hearts and transform our health ministry. So you and I have to come to a certain place at the altar. Just like a man and a woman have to come. We have to stand before the Lord himself. And we got to be asked the question, will you take Jesus? to be your lord and your savior personal lord and savior and do you solemnly swear to have him to love him to serve him for better or for what worse in sickness or in health For richer or for poorer? Forsaking all others. Till death. That's a covenant. So when my faith is down, my relationship with Jesus is struggling. I haven't broken the covenant yet. I'm just in a bad situation and sometimes you gotta renew your vows. Sometimes you got to go to marriage counseling. Sometimes you got to sit down with someone and say, listen, something's not right between you and Jesus. And maybe today's the day that the Lord is saying to you and to me, listen, we're not where we're supposed to be. If there's anything that's more discouraging... To a spouse. It's the idea that I could say as a spouse, Oh, I'm doing everything for you, but you and I don't have a relationship. That's how people become strangers in their own home. Well, I was doing everything for you. Really? So, where's the relationship? It's dead, it's just a formality, just nominal. And some of us, we have to be honest today, we may be doctors, we may be praying with patients, we may be nurses, we have compassion for our patients, but where are we with Jesus? Have you made a death commitment to him? Have you bowed before the son of God in love and reverence? Don't tell Jesus you're doing this for him. Show him that you're doing it for him. And all of those things that we are deficient in, we can receive by faith. Like Bartimaeus' faith. Even if you feel like you lack faith, you can tell the Lord, Lord, even my little faith, Jesus still responds to your little faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And even like the woman, all the faith of your life could be concentrated in one prayer. And his words to every person is always the same. Your faith has made you well. That's it. I'm going to invite my wife to come. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Father in heaven, we have explored this morning the gospel. We have explored our need. We have explored the fact that we cannot think of it solely as individuals who... Are always on the serving end. But these, this is one area this morning. With Christ dwelling in our hearts. Which is our theme. Which is our passion. Which is what we want. That's where we want to go. We're not going to get there. By our own efforts. We're not going to get there by regenerating ourselves. We're not going to get there through our own labors. It's only going to come. By our complete dependence and trust. Our faith. Our faith. A faith that's not just casual with religion. A faith that's not nominal. A faith that leads to covenant relation to God. That's the faith that we want. And if there's someone here that says, yes, I've had a relationship with Jesus. Yes, I've been serving him. But this morning, I need to renew my vows with Jesus. I need to renew that covenant with Jesus. As she sings this song, I want you to come to this altar as we pray this morning. Say, Lord, I'm renewing my vows to you. If that's your desire, I just invite you to come. You don't have to be afraid. This is between you and Jesus. Mighty God, everlasting Father, we are kneeling here to renew our vows to Jesus. To renew this covenant that we made, Lord, when we stepped into the waters of baptism. To remind ourselves as medical missionaries that we were patients once. And in many ways, we still are. Lord, we have been touched by brokenness. We've been acquainted with grief. But we are thankful Like the song that was just sung, Lord, that you looked beyond our faults and you saw our need. And that's why Jesus came and that's why Jesus is here today. Father, it is our prayer that Christ would dwell in our hearts. We want Jesus to live out that healing ministry through us. That every health practitioner here may go home not to a profession but to a ministry of healing. But Lord, we know Christ dwelling in our hearts is only possible by faith. A faith that is persistent. A faith that can endure when situations go from bad to worse. A faith that carries us through years and years of suffering many things, of many physicians and being no better. Lord, we pray that even the smallest faith, when there is an ounce of unbelief still in our hearts, we pray that you would still respond with your grace. Lord, our faith is not perfect, but the little faith we have, hear our prayer today. And may Christ dwell in us, in every individual heart, by faith. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering this prayer. And we offer this prayer from our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org